0: After having spent the better part of almost three years now working our way through the book of Psalms, uh, I really hope that, that you guys have come to love them as much as I have. Anybody? Amen. Uh, and you know, that sentiment is, is definitely not new. Uh, throughout history, the book of Psalms has been treasured by millions of Christians in hundreds of places around the world uh, in the, whoops, there we go, in the ancient and medieval periods. Uh, the psalms were studied and sung uh, extensively, especially by monastic orders. Uh, and then in the Reformation of the 1500s, the recovery of the Bible in the common language for, uh, for the common man from replacing that from just strictly the purview of the professional clergy for use by the average man or woman in the pews also meant a recovery of the psalms and of them in public worship and for a private devotion. In fact, John Calvin said of them, I have been accustomed to call this book of Psalms, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not there represented as in a mirror. And in them is comprehended most beautifully and briefly everything that is in the entire Bible. And I think we've seen that along the way. And you see, he's saying that the the psalms teach us how to express our emotions to God uh, in all the circumstances of our lives. And at the same time, ties us to the whole counsel of God's Word. Now, more recently, uh, in his book on the psalms, a man by the name of Dr. Robert Godfrey, uh, in a book entitled Loving the Psalms that I commend to you, uh, wrote, there are psalms for all occasions, and while they don't make explicit reference to every occasion... For which there's a hallmark card, they do mark all the important spiritual and emotional moments in the lives of God's people. And he and Calvin can make those kind of statements because the Psalms, unlike any other book in the Bible, is the one book written not only by the inspiration of God, but actually written to God as an expression of worship and prayer. Uh, A book that helps us to give a voice to the deepest places in our hearts, and the whole range of our human emotions, because in it we are given the language to address God with thanks and with praise, but at the same time also with our feelings of isolation and of anguish and of sorrow and of despair. Uh, as an outlet for our authentic grief over the guilt of our sins. And last but not least, we need to be mining the depths of the Psalms because the Psalms are full of Christ. The great reformer Martin Luther, who had uh, learned the Psalms early in his career as a monk and who who continued to, to love them his entire life, wrote that the Psalms ought to be a precious and beloved book if for no other reason than this It promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly. And it pictures his kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom that it might well be called a little Bible. see, because they not only uh, explicitly prophesy the coming of Christ, but the message of the Psalms always pulls our soul closer to him and to his great saving work. And it intensifies our fellowship with him and with the Father through the Holy Spirit, to lead us into a lifetime of worship and submission while we're here on earth and an eternity of praise in the new heaven and the new earth that we're all uh, expectantly looking for. And so, we're at the end, guys. Psalm 150. began June 24th of 2018, and here we are. Uh, so I hope you have your Bibles with you, as always, because remember, it's great that it's in mine, but it's more important that it's in yours. Uh, And so, Psalm 150. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do praise You. We praise and thank You uh, for this Word. We praise and thank You for Your Holy Spirit uh, that we ask, as always, to have it right on our hearts, these things that we're about to discuss uh, and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Uh, open the ears of your people, uh, because you've said your sheep will hear your voice. And so we trust in you, Lord, in these next few moments that you allow us to see uh, in your holy word, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, and so if you take a, kind of a big step back from this study, uh, this collection of psalms that we've gone through, you can really see kind of an interesting flow in the way that they're put together. Uh, If you remember way back in the early sections of the psalms, there's a whole lot of ones that are really sad. Uh, Psalms of sadness, psalms of lament, psalms of suffering and of pain and of sorrow, Uh, ones about trouble and difficulty in people's lives. And, you know, those are the ones that we identify with because they reflect the pain and the problems that we face every day living in uh, the sadness of this fallen world that finds its way so easily into our human experience but as you move through the psalms a little further those psalms of lament give way to songs of joy and of thanksgiving and the closer you get to the final one the more and more that theme builds to crescendo uh, finally culminates in the pinnacle of this psalm 150 that we just read uh, which is as uh, one commentator said the peak of pure and unrestrained praise the Everest, he said, the one to which you come after traversing all of the preceding valleys and that ends the book with a final call to all of creation to give exuberant, ceaseless, loud, and submissive praise to the living God. Amen. And church, uh, this psalm may be small, but like so many of the little ones that we've looked at, its message <coughs> excuse me, its message of praise is huge. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, its message of praise is huge, and it has consequences that actually go well beyond just the the brief hour of praising that we do on Sunday mornings and, and the ones we do Wednesday night uh, when we're singing hymns together and you know listening to the uplifting music of the church, enjoying Miss Anne on the piano uh, so much, uh, Miss Donna on the flute, uh, all the great soloists that we've had, Pastor John on the organ. Brother Paul on the trumpet, we're going to hear him again not too long from now, Uh, or Susie's guitar, or Don Binkley and his solos, because like all good worship and all good worship leaders, and we've got a pretty awesome one right here, like all good worship leaders, they point us beyond themselves and on to the only one who is worthy to receive it, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, And you see, the beauty of of Psalm 150 is it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just commend the benefits of worship to the church uh, and to its members to be involved in the business of praising God, but it commands, it commands, as we read, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, everything. And you remember that from Psalm 148 two weeks ago, uh, that everything includes kings of the earth and all peoples, Princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together. Old men and children. Uh, And all of that group, all y'all, right? uh, Are not just requested but required to quit their me-centered, myopic, navel-gazing existence and look to the author of life uh, and to live by the instruction manual that he left for us. Uh, And brothers and sisters, you know, the truth is that's also really the crowning achievement of the Reformation and this Protestant movement that we've inherited, uh, because it, like Psalm 150, lifts our eyes from the doctrines of men uh, and the, the fear of needing to chase after their approval constantly and stands us firmly on the foundation of Christ so that from that firm footing we can proclaim the gospel with a holy boldness and a heart full of praise for our triune God. And you see, here's, here's what Psalm 150 is not. It's not just a little tag-on to the end of the rest of such an epic book. And it's not a treatise on what type of instruments we're supposed to be uh, using in the music of the church. Uh, It's not the justification for a noisy, cymbal-clashing praise and worship band to monopolize the service. But rather, it's a bold declaration of universal allegiance to Almighty God. And it's the proclamation of all of Christ for all of life, for all the world. And so in a way, the musical instruments that that are listed in it could be just, uh, in one sense, the, the vehicle of a metaphor. We could actually probably read this, uh, praise Him with the trumpet sounds of joy over the birth of a brand new baby into the family of our faith. And then later on, that baby grows up, uh, praise Him with lute and harp, Uh, at the launch of a new family in a marriage celebration. Praise Him with tambourine and dance when those groups of families form communities uh, that spend time in fellowship and worship together. Uh, Praise Him with strings and pipes in the subdued sounds that accompany the committal of those we love to the grave. Uh, And in the spaces in between all of those times, praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud flashing symbols as we boldly contend with the world, the flesh, and the devil in the jarring sounds of battle against those who would seek to destroy the church and to persecute its people and to marginalize its message of let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because, church, that is not a safe, comfortable, get settled in and get complacent kind of message, and it never has been. It never has been. And, and many of you know this. You know I've, um, I've had folks say to me at different times uh, that I should just avoid talking about certain subjects from the pulpit. right? Well, well-meaning people, people that I love, people that I respect, um, who said that I, that I should just talk about churchy things and, and, and try to always evoke good feelings and try to keep away from controversy and uh, from getting too pushy with sensitive issues, particularly politics. Because, well, so, some folks maybe just don't want to hear about that stuff in church. Uh, but church, that's not the message of today's song. And that's not the message of any of Scripture, because whether it's socially acceptable to say or not, there is nothing in all the world that is not subject to the rule of Christ or the command to submit in praise to Him. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, we can't ever say, let's just take our lives and dedicate 80% of it to following God, but Hey, you know, we'll reserve the other 20% to uh, the realm of, of prevailing culture and, and the whims of our own personal opinions. No, he, he demands 100%. And he doesn't just demand it. I mean, yes, he doesn't just demand it. He deserves it. He deserves it. We just have to recognize it. And you know what? If, if you thought about it for half a minute, you know you feel exactly the same way yourself. And I'll give you a quick example. Talking of, of anniversaries, Vicki and I have a wedding anniversary coming up. Uh, 31 years, believe it or not. And so, 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 so just imagine that I, that I took her out to dinner, okay? Now, she may have probably a harder time imagining that than you might. But <laughs> to, just imagine that I took her out to dinner for anniversary. Uh, and at the end of the evening, I, I look her in the eye and, and I say, Happy anniversary, honey. I, I am so pleased to tell you that in the last three decades, uh, I've been 80% faithful to you. <laughs> and I think those of you that know my wife would know what would happen next. <laughs> and, and, and we can laugh at that, but think about it, guys. Think: What, what if I'd even said to her, uh, honey, I've been 97% devoted to you. Would even, would even that be enough? Is <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. What, but would that be the standard that we'd want in a spouse? No. Well, guess what? Neither does God want that from His bride, the church. He doesn't want that from us. Because our summons today and every day from Psalm 150 is to praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. The problem is, though, that it can and will very often set us at odds with the world. And with its political and religious leaders that think like Satan, they can put themselves in the place of God and and by doing that usurp the glory that we owe only to Him. Which, incidentally, is the whole point of this very unique religious anniversary in the history of the church. You've got it inside your little insert that we commemorate today because it was exactly 500 years ago today, this very day, that Martin Luther stood before all the assembled excellencies of the Holy Roman Empire and the whole purple-clad delegation of the papal nuncio and his entourage from the Pope's court to defend the supremacy of Scripture over human tradition and the primacy of man's personal allegiance to Christ above every earthly authority. Because, Church, it was exactly 500 years ago today, April 18th, 1521 that Martin Luther gave his now famous here I stand speech at the Diet of Worms can okay, just just by way of background if you, if you aren't that familiar with Protestant church history um, lots of scholars be, uh, post the beginning of the Reformation a little earlier uh, from October 31st 1517 and you remember four years ago we celebrated that 500 anniversary here in church uh, when the then Augustinian monk, And Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther challenged the leadership of the Pope and the Roman Church on a number of issues where he felt that the Roman Church had drifted into error. Uh, Places where he he feels their feet had slipped. Uh, Error as to their uh, use of the proper authority of Scripture and the nature of salvation and the work of Christ. And so in order to call the Church back to its first love and its humble beginnings... Uh, Luther published his 95 theses and nailed it to the castle church door in Wittenberg. Uh, And with that first hammer blow, though, he threw open the floodgates of the Reformation. Uh, Now, to be fair, though, Luther didn't just get up that morning and think, you know what, by golly, I think uh, today's the day I'm going to completely reshape the church and Western culture. Uh, That's not how it happened. In fact, uh, Karl Barth, the theologian, uh, said metaphorically at least, Luther was like a blind man locked in the bell tower of medieval Europe who stumbled in the darkness of its Christless faith and upon reaching out to the wall for support, inadvertently grabbed the bell rope of freedom instead. And in the process, disturbing all human authority from its complacency and alerting the religious establishment that their human traditions had replaced the church's doctrine of Christ. Because you see, when Luther nailed up his his list of disputed doctrines, um, he had intended it just as an academic discussion. It wasn't an act of vandalism. He wasn't a revolutionary. Uh, The church door in Wittenberg was a bulletin board for the university where professors listed their courses and religious debates were proposed. And, And Luther had intentionally penned those frustrations in Latin so that only scholars would have seen its provocative content. But in God's providence... It was very quickly snapped up by university students. It was translated from Latin into German. It uh, was printed en masse and distributed all over Germany until finally a copy uh, made its way to Rome. And a concerted effort began to convince Luther to change his mind, whether he wanted to or not. But he was convinced of his message, and even more, he was convinced of the supremacy of the Scriptures over the doctrines of the church and over the authority of the papacy. And he refused to keep silent. And he began to preach. And he preached in the university lecture halls. And he preached in the local church, trumpeting the now familiar, I hope, the now familiar message of the five solas that are in that insert. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone as the final and highest authority. And everything that we hear from any other source has to be compared to God's word and if it doesn't match the scriptures or if it contradicts the scriptures we can't affirm it Okay, it's not in the Bible we cannot affirm it sola gratia by grace alone that we're saved from damnation by the unmerited grace of God alone without any of our own works Uh, which only happens through sola fide in faith alone in sola Christus Christ alone and so by faith alone in Christ alone as the only proper object of that faith, which takes us to the last of those five and right back to the message of today's psalm, and that is soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. So grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as laid out in the exclusive text of Scripture alone. But you know that beautiful message that was music to the ears of the common people in Luther's day Uh, Who heard it at the same time sounded like uh, nothing more than a bunch of noisy symbols to the kings and the cultural elite. Uh, And finally, that message gave the Pope such a big excedrin headache that on January uh, 1521, Pope Leo X formally excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church. But being emboldened by the Holy Spirit, Luther pressed on until later that same year, under intense pressure from the papacy. The Holy Roman Emperor Charles V convened a Diet, which is just an assembly of of clergy and nobility in the German free city of Worms at south of Frankfurt, where Luther went knowing it wouldn't be just his teachings in danger, but his life itself. He arrived earlier on April 17th. He was brought into the assembly chamber. All of his writings were laid out on the table there, all of his sermons, all of his books. and He was asked two questions. Are these your writings, and will you recant them? Poor Brother Martin was exhausted from the long journey, and to get there, he was initially intimidated by such an august setting and the the huge crowd of dignitaries and the rarefied presence of the emperor. So just just for a moment, he hesitated. He finally managed to acknowledge in a a barely audible voice, Yes, those are mine. But then he asked for time to consider the second question, the question of recanting them, because he said that matter involved the salvation of his soul and the truth of the word of God, which is, he said, after all, the highest consideration in heaven and earth. And then he said he did not want to fall under the judgment of Christ, who said that whoever is ashamed of me on earth, I will be ashamed of him before my heavenly father and before his angels. So in hearing those words, the emperor gave him a stay of 24 hours, probably uh, the longest 24 hours in Luther's life because he didn't sleep a wink. Next morning, after having spent the night in prayer, Luther gathered himself, gathered his thoughts, and he returned to that assembly as composed and as brave as he had been intimidated and overwhelmed the day before. And he was asked the same two questions. Would he defend his writings or would he recant But this time, he was warned, his time was up, and he was commanded to answer the questions plainly. I It was then, exactly 500 years ago today, that Martin Luther, in an incredible act of great boldness and holy candor, addressed the emperor and the assembly, and he said, "...since your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer, I will give it in that manner, plain and unvarnished." He said, "...unless I am refuted and convicted by the testimony of Scripture..." or by clear theological argument, since I will believe neither the Pope's opinion nor the counsel of men, it being evident that they have often erred and often contradicted themselves, I am conquered by the holy scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is bound to the word of God. And so I cannot and I will not recant anything. And he finished by saying, Here I stand. Cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. So, what, And what a powerful answer. What a, what a powerful testimony. And most importantly, what a powerful faith lived out before the assembled powers of the whole known world at the time. But before that whole group of men that called themselves majesty and highness and, and excellency, uh, men who constantly trumpeted their own human accomplishments and their earthly powers, who now at that message, found themselves leveled at the foot of the cross. And those men who had subpoenaed Luther to appear now found themselves summoned by his words to praise God for his mighty deeds and to praise him according to his excellent greatness. And so then along with all of humanity, to all of us being called back to simple reliance on that old, old story of the gospel, the story of Jesus and his love, the Jesus to whom all praise and honor is due, the one who is the center of undimmed adoration in heaven and the object of all worthy loves on earth, the one that we, along with everything that has breath, must obey the leading of the Holy Spirit's call to praise Him in His sanctuary and praise Him in His mighty heavens until everything, everywhere, will praise the Lord and Him alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Amen. God, our Father, we do uh, thank you today for this message of the Scriptures. We thank you for this book of Psalms that we've traveled through uh, this long journey, and we thank you for the place that it leads us, uh, a place that leads us to the foot of the cross and and praise to your Son. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for uh, the faith that has been handed down from him to the apostles, to the reformers, to the pilgrims, and now on to us, uh, faith in Scripture alone to teach us, Uh, that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone to your glory alone and so send us out father today on that firm foundation Uh, allow us to speak boldly as i've said to this culture to this people Uh, keep our hearts strong and faithful in you Uh, and give us lord a holy boldness to live out this week for the sake of the kingdom and we ask these things in jesus name amen